Would you uh, open up your Bibles at uh, Genesis? Genesis chapter 6. No, sorry, Genesis chapter 1. We're starting at Genesis chapter 1 and just one, just one verse there. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we're going to just... What is Genesis chapter 1 about? In the beginning, God created, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what it's all about. It's about the beginning. And uh, God revealed this to Moses and Moses wrote it down. And uh, he wrote it down sufficient that we might know that uh, our origin is in God. God created us. As I read somewhere, uh, God is a great potter because he took some clay and, uh, and he moulded it and made a man out of it. Isn't that an amazing thing to think that God can do that? I know there's lots of things about creation, about our existence, that we have no answers for other than God knows. And that's all we need. God has given us sufficient in the scriptures to know who he is and who we are and the destiny of all mankind, the destiny of this world and the destiny of you, the destiny of me and the destiny of those people overseas and, and wherever we should come across people in this world. Uh, there is sufficient in the scriptures to know all these things that we would place our faith and our trust in him and him alone. And we find in the scriptures earlier on uh, the record of the beginning of what we call time, the beginning of the origin of this universe. And today I'm going to uh, talk to you under the title, From Good to Bad to the Hope of Redemption. And so we want to read, we're not going to read the whole of the chapter 1, we're just going to read the last verse of chapter 1. And it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Okay, God made it. And we notice if we go back to chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 1, I should say, and it commences, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now there's no apology there. There's no um, argument. There's just this bold statement that God was already before the beginning because he made the beginning. He made our beginning. He made the beginning of time. God is outside of time. And time does not constrain him. He came into time in the form of Jesus Christ and he walked with us and time did not constrain him because he went back out of time and he has sent his Holy Spirit into this time-bound world. But still the Holy Spirit is not bound by these things. And so we find right in the very beginning of the record of all things that in the beginning, God created. 
And I think that's really important for us to start off with this morning. In the beginning, God created. And that's very important because there are so many philosophies around the world where uh, they are prepared to believe any fairy tale kind of thing, but they will not believe that there is a God. They will believe that there are aliens out there somewhere who came into this world and, uh, and seeded life in this world, but where did this world come from for the aliens to come to? And further, where did the aliens come from? So there are a lot of unanswered questions with all these uh, fancy beliefs that are around uh, these days. So we follow the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as you read through it, and the days he created, you'll notice that he says there, and it was very good. He finished something and it was very good. No, sorry, it was good. It was good. Then, of course, we finish off in verse 31, and, and I kind of see God standing back and looking out over this marvellous creation. And sometimes I think to myself, wow, what must it have been like for Adam and Eve to walk in such perfection that God himself was happy to come and walk with them in the garden? When I see some glorious and beautiful flowers, some, some intricate woven um, orchids and some other lovely flowers. Even flowers that are classified as weeds, I look at them and I say, but they're beautiful, but they're lovely. Look at those beautiful colours in them. And, and you can go onto Google and you can see some most remarkable orchids that look like animals. It's amazing. What must it have been like for Adam and Eve to walk in the perfection that you and I cannot see? Must have been utterly amazing. All this great goodness that God created. Everything was created in goodness because God said, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. My question to you today is, is it still very good? Is it still good? Remember, the application of the word good was universal around the globe. It wasn't just good things here and good things there intermingled with all the evil and bad and death and all horrible stuff. This was good that was all-encompassing, even out in the universe. Everything was good. But my question is, is it that way still? We see reflections of goodness. As I've mentioned, some lovely flowers. They always captivate my attention, these lovely orchids and so on. And I've got a number of orchids underneath the trees at the back that uh, hopefully they're going to uh, produce some lovely flowers eventually if I don't interrupt them too much and kill them off or something. I'm usually pretty good at that. 
But you see, everything started off good. Very good. Universally. We still see these days uh, sprinkles of goodness around the world and sprinkles of goodness in people themselves. We see this around about. And, uh, and mixing with the seniors here during the week time, I see sprinkles of goodness. And I think, that's our society. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there were no more sprinkles of goodness but there was universal goodness. I look forward to that great day when all sin is wrapped up in that great big Santa Claus bag and thrown into hell. I look forward to that great day. Genesis 1 verse 31, and it was very good. Let's flip over to Genesis 6. Genesis 6, and we're going to read 1 to 8. And it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took uh, as their wives uh, as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim uh, were on the earth in those days and all, also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord said the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heavens, and I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, I'm so glad verse 8 is there. I'm so glad of that. Are you glad of that? Yes, I'm so glad that Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Everything was universally good. And now everything in the heart of man is continually and universally evil. Well, what happened? What happened? Go back to Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, that is, the serpent, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of that tree in the midst of the garden. And go down to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate too. No, he knew better. The Bible tells us that he knew better. Even though Eve earlier on had, had recited the same, same command that um, God gave to Adam, Eve was deceived. She was uh, reasoned into rejecting God. How many young people today grow up in the Christian church, go off to college and university, and they are reasoned to reject God? One of the craftiest tricks of the devil, appealing to the intellect. Oh, you're... you're you know, you're so wise, you're, you're so intellectual, you can handle this great truth. But God, he, he really, he's holding out on you. If you just eat of this, see how good it is. See how wonderful it is. See how glorious it is. All the reasoning that must have went on from the serpent to Eve. And she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were late naked and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. Well, you know the rest of that aspect there, the rest of that story there. Genesis 6 is uh, dealing with the culmination of the fullness of sin in this world. And it was full. Right? It was, you know, their hearts were so given over to evil that they continually did evil. It wasn't just... Uh, um, you know, like a stumble into something evil or some, something sinful, the Bible says that their hearts, the thoughts of their hearts were continually evil. So it had become their nature. Their nature was no longer reflecting the good God, which God had expected them to do. So we find that uh, sin and the fall, and the fall was very, very great. In verse 5 and 8 of chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention and thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. What a sad comment follows that verse that God regretted that he made man in this world isn't that sad after the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2 
Chapter 3 tells of the fall of Adam and Eve and its catastrophic effects. Suddenly a new character enters the scene and is, is a serpent, is a mouthpiece for an evil power from Scripture later, uh, sorry, whom Scripture later identifies as the devil or Satan. Addressing Eve, he first questions God's prohibition of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on penalty of death and then denies God's words. Finally, he accuses God of selfishly withholding the fruit. Satan seduces Eve, who eats from the tree and gives to Adam, who does likewise. The results of their sin are immense. We cannot measure it. It is so big that we cannot measure it. For we read later on in Scripture that Jesus said, Broad is the way to destruction and many go that way, but narrow is the way to heaven and few follow it. But think of that broad way. Think of how many people down through the centuries have toppled over the edge into hell. We can't measure the immenseness of sin. But God declares the death sentence on them both, which is executed immediately in spiritual death. For they were pushed out of the Garden of Eden, out of the presence of God, and ultimately in physical death later on. As they are cut off from the tree of life, their sin also was, has grave consequences for marriage roles and for man's work which will be toilsome and frustrating. Because they have become slaves of sin, God will expel them from the garden sanctuary. And after Adam and Eve rebel, they hide themselves from their creator, but he finds them. He holds them accountable for their sin and promises salvation. God curses the serpent and the evil one controlling it. His curse on the serpent, Satan, is not literally, not literal, but figurative to eat dust, means to suffer humiliation and defeat. God further declares, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and, your, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. His offspring will be an, an individual champion who defeats the evil one. Must have been wonderful to be able to look forward even in the shamefulness of their own sin to the fact that God had promised them salvation by faith in the coming Messiah. It must have been encouraging for them. But what heartache they experienced when they experienced the first murder of their own son killing one of their other sons. So there's a lesson for life. 
God's provision of an offspring who will overcome the serpent's seed points to Jesus Christ's defeat of Satan and death, deliverance of human beings and the liberation of creation from sin's consequences. I look forward to that day when I'll be able to walk with the Father because of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on that cruel cross. So sin, the fall, it was a terrible, terrible fall. And that lesson for life is that even in the midst of our own sin, God is merciful and God is gracious and he offers us a way out of it. But we must receive it and come his way, not our way. I hear from time to time when I talk with people um, who seem to reflect some kind of connection with churches and, and I query them a little bit and, and I hear very often that they are trusting in their own good works to get to heaven, that they feel that they're, they're good enough. They're good enough. But we must come the way that Jesus Christ has laid down for us. Sin and the fall was indeed very terrible. Sin in its is universe, sorry, sin, its universality. Turn over to Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 to 26. Romans chapter 3, 9 and 26. Romans chapter 3, 9 to 26. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of the curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the world, uh, whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now how many is that? It's for all who believe. 
Right? There is a way which God says you will come. Right? And only those who come that way can say they are believers. So do you have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? Or are you trusting that you're good enough? You see, Paul wrote to the Romans and he reminded them that even the Jewish people were under sin. No one is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by the grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. My friends, indeed, I hope and I pray that you are on the right side of that line. Because Paul draws a very distinct line between faith for salvation and works for salvation. There are a lot of people, probably even millions around the world, who do very good things. That is not in question. Whether they do good things or not is not in question. It is... How are they trusting and in what are they trusting that they might be able to get into heaven? That's the question. I am sure that all of you do good deeds. All of you do good deeds. All of you do good things. But are you trusting in those things that they will get you to heaven? You see, Paul says, no, It's by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Sin is universal. And there's a lesson for life there too. Although Noah had not given himself over to sin like his contemporaries, he still was not perfect. You read in chapter 9 and verse 21 how imperfect he was. The effects of Adam's first sin are universal. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Only one man was without sin and he died and rose to rescue all who trust in him. Remember Paul's words? All who believe in him. All who believe in him. So are you believing in him? What does believing mean? Is it an intellectual well, God, you're there. Yeah, I believe that. And uh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, yeah, all that. You know, you can have a whole theological list 50 feet long and you can tick every box on the right side. But what are you trusting in? Has it filtered down through your life? And, and is that bringing a trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, apart from all my good works? Jesus Christ and him alone. 
All my good works, God knows they're there, but they are pushed aside when it comes to the matter of salvation. You know, uh, <clears throat> there's a word, a Hebrew word that's used for the ark and it's, um, I read somewhere it was used about 50 or something, 50 or so many times in the Old Testament or in the Bible and it's referred to two things and two things only. One is that little ark, probably it was about this big, that round, that sort of round like that, top over it, a little baby went inside there and he floated away. It's used as the ark that protected Moses. And it's used for Noah's Ark, those two only. It's interesting, isn't it? Moses, what a mighty man of God he grew up to be. And he was protected in the Ark of God. And, and, and Noah found favour in the eyes of God and he's protected in this Ark. And he protected all the animals that he took on board too. So it's an interesting thing that even though sin is in its universality, we know that God is still working in the lives of individuals, bringing about salvation to a sinful, sinful world. Well, finally, this morning, sin, its conqueror. Chapter 7 in Genesis 1 to 5. Chapter 7, 1 to 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for you have for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and the pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, and keep to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every longing thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. My friends, John chapter 14 and verse 6 tells us, I am the way, the truth and the life. Did I get that wrong? I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes but through me. Hey? Come to the Father. He is the conqueror. Jesus Christ is the conqueror. We see that the ark had one door. 
Jesus said, I am the door. And there is only one way into heaven. We cannot come by our own way, our own goodness, or our, uh, our own religious uh, things that we do in this world. Sin has one conqueror, and his name is Jesus. And of course, that gospel in a nutshell, uh, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16. What a great little verse of scripture that is. Telling us how much God loves the world. But you notice in there that he still mentions about those who will perish. If we come the way of Christ, we will not perish. But if we don't come the way of Christ, we will perish. And so this is the message that New Hope Wesleyan Methodist Church wants to get out into our community. That Christ is the way to heaven. Even though we do good things in this world, Christ is the way to heaven. So from good to bad to the hope of redemption. Sin, its fall was terrible. And it's universal. It's terribly deceitful. As we read in the scripture that we don't even know how deceitful it is in our hearts, but God does. And that's why God is the only one who can supply the answer to the problem of sin. So God started off with everything very good. And as I read the last chapter in the book, he's going to finish up with it, every, with it very good too. Would you like to miss out on that? Let's not miss out on that. Our Father in heaven, indeed, we pause at this time to thank you for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are very conscious that the world has its systems and we are encouraged to not get involved in all of that, but to reflect the goodness of Christ in this world. So, Lord, we pray that you'll help us, help us and empower us to be bold and to share the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We commit these things to you and pray that you'll help us to his glory. Amen. Amen.